Russian by birth, Indian by marriage, global by naturalization. A life story so fascinating that it can be a plot for the book or a movie. Being born into a mystical family, growing up with gangsters and prostitutes, fleeing Russia at the age of 21 with 100 US dollars in my pocket, traveling all over the world, being trapped in a very difficult and dramatic first marriage, failing over and over and over again in businesses and all other things that people usually do in samsara. At some point, I decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, drive a motorbike across Himalayan mountains in India, visit shamans in Peru, knock on the doors of Tibetan monasteries in Bhutan, all in search for answers, only to realize that everything I have been searching for has always been within me from the very beginning when I came into this world. Once this realization has fully settled in my mind, I felt it is time to share it with people around me. This is how a Timeless Teachings podcast was born, out of deep love for humanity. We are so much more than what we think we are. In this episode, I'm being interviewed by Arti Sharma about the depths of my soul, why are we here, and what it means to live a truly fulfilling life. Welcome to the Timeless Teachings Podcast. My name is Jana, and I'm your guide into the world of spirituality, mysticism, and consciousness. Each episode, we will dive into deep and often rather controversial subjects. The guests are encouraged to speak their minds and hearts freely and share their most authentic life experiences, teachings, and realizations. If you haven't done it yet, do press the subscribe button, share this episode with friends, and support us on Patreon. Let's rise together and create a world that celebrates wisdom, compassion, equality, vulnerability, and truth. And here I am with Artif. And if you are watching this right now, then probably we haven't even cut this. We just recorded this like uncutted and raw. And we just recorded it from the beginning to the end, just the way we would usually talk. So when uh, people ask me to record um, sharings and teachings and transmissions of myself, I just felt that it would be much more fun and much more interesting to do this with another person who is present here, who knows how to ask questions. And RC is amazing at it. So just a few words. I have been uh, honored to speak at her soulful conversations where she unites all kinds of people. And uh, I like that she's very particular about the fact that she does prefer people to be physically present in the room. So now with the online world, we have to adjust, but I like it because it makes a huge difference when we are physically present. So let's um, imagine this for our conversation today that we are in one room or so. Probably I'm in your room. I like your background <laughs> and <laughs> with the drawings from your children. <laughs> so let's imagine that we are just sitting together and having this conversation. So you can ask anything you want. Wow. First of all, thank you, Yana, for such a such a beautiful opportunity to 
interact with you and you saying that uh, you're present here i can feel your presence that's who yana is you feel her and i think online or offline or physical presence there are some people who are so present with themselves and yana is one of them uh, so it hardly really makes a difference we are seeing each other through screen or we are meeting each other physically look how radiant you are <laughs> i think everyone can see that um, in you and i'm so so happy and i'm so so blessed to be here with you today thank you yana for this beautiful beautiful opportunity thank you so much for agreeing to hold this space and to be the first person who is actually here asking questions about what it is that we are creating this is very yeah. interesting absolutely i've been so so intrigued as soon as you you shared with me about the word non dual conversation and uh, having heard you on so many occasions having heard you speak on different forums having uh, listening to your facebook lives uh, being very fortunate to be a part of group that you curated uh, and designed especially uh, a wonderful five weeks workshop um, i have been through different spaces with you and and it's been uh, a wonderful revelation of who you are the learnings that the knowledge that you have so i'm so intrigued to know this is your new baby that you're bringing to this world and uh, i'm sure there is so much depth in it there is so much um, behind it so first of all the word itself if you can explain for all of us what is non dual this is such a deep question that's why i ask you to come here today arthur you go straight into the essence non duality is you could say a very um, multidimensional and multifaceted word of itself and that's the whole reason why uh, i felt that we want to start these conversations so that we can look at it from different perspective and different angles because then mm -hmm. well yes there is a common understanding what non dual is but then but in my experience also people have a little bit of their own color to it one way or another because we 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 follow different paths and yes it is about spirituality absolutely or is mm -hmm. about about living life about understanding life about understanding yourself first of all but then we come from all kind of different schools and backgrounds and 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 teachers and practices and i would like to honor this the whole mandala here that's pretty much what it is about and just yeah. inviting people from all corners of earth with their perspective of how they see this and mm -hmm. of course you know i myself still a student i feel like i'm still at the very beginning of the journey <laughs> and it's very interesting that you know the more you teach the more you realize you know nothing like literally nothing Mm -hmm. And so in my understanding where I am today the non duality it is this incredible space where you are not bounded by the extremes like mm -hmm. you are not you're not necessarily looking for happiness but you are not running away from unhappiness like you you are not uh, trying to conquer something but you are also not trying to push something away Right, mm. so you are not in the extreme, we, which is which is how the most people operate. I mean, we all are because we conditioned this way. We conditioned to live like in this very dual perspective, and dual it's black or white, this or that. 
right or left, good or bad. This is the duality, right? That has the opposites, love or hate. So, and I love how, how my teacher says that when the moment you have um, a form, then any form would have a shadow to it. And so when we name something, right, there's always the other side of the medal. Mm. That's why I say to people, be so careful what you wish for. You have no idea what's going to come. I mean, you might receive exactly what you asked for, but also you're going to receive the other side if you're asking in this dualistic reality. And most of the time, people are not prepared for this. And that's why, like, also in our society, when, let's say, like, it's very common uh, desire, right? Like, maybe to have more money or to have fame or to have power or even, like, to find loved one or to get married, to, to have children, to, you know, like, a very common desires that we all have. And often people just get fixated that I really want it. If I only get it, that it changes everything in my life, then finally I will be happier. And in my experience of working with people for so many years and really studying humans, like I'm studying human beings, it's my biggest passion, but mm -hmm. I just have seen that it never works like this. And people can spend years and years and years trying to pursue something and then only when they, in their mind, they feel that they reach some kind of peak, right? They reach something in their life to realize that there is another side to it. Or there is something else to achieve. It's like a never-ending process. This mm -hmm. desire is never-ending. So when I first heard about the concept of non-duality, I was completely fascinated. Because before, all my life, I was exactly just like everyone else. I was kind of running towards happiness and away from unhappiness. Right? We are running away from suffering towards something which makes us feel better. Yes. And that then also kind of spills out often into the spiritual journey itself where people come into spirituality because they're hurting because there is deep pain or because they feel that there's a lack of something like often mm -hmm. and it could be as as deep as it could be this longing to connect with the divine right or like longing to connect with something with your soul so it not necessarily has to be in this realm of the material world it could be something very very metaphysical but then there is this this drive that brings us into this world and uh, then an interesting thing happens and then okay we go let's say on a spiritual journey and for example we start learning how to meditate and i definitely have been there and then we go for the meditation sit there and the mind rolls, okay, well, something has to happen now. So I'm meditating. So I need to have some benefits of it, right? So I need mm -hmm. to gain something. I want to do exactly the expectations, right? The expectations to, to gain something from, from those practices. Like I want, mm -hmm. you know, even things like I want to feel happier or I want to feel more peaceful are still expectations. They're still in duality. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when I started really looking at it, I realized that pretty much everything, at least I knew about spirituality at that point, was not really what true spiritual journey is about. So it was fragments, right? Mm -hmm. It was, but it was not really what, from my understanding, leads people into liberation. And so it became my personal passion and kind of my, my personal adventure to then find the answers, okay, 
So if this is a dead end, if this doesn't lead us to liberation, then what does? <laughs> right? Because that's, uh, and that's kind of how I started looking at it and talking to different people and different teachers trying to understand um, their perception on non-duality and their perception of what it means to be in the middle. Right? It's the middle path, that's also the thing, which is also common pretty much in all cultures in all kinds of different ways. Right. When we say, let's be in moderation, right? Let's not go to the extremes. So too much of one side or the other side does not really make you what you want to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, then through my conversations with all those people and the teachers and, and, and guides and masters, I just, and all of those conversations were private. They were not recorded. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it was just me talking to another human being. And the conversations were so phenomenal that I have never had anyone else talking about it. Mm-hmm. So a part of me was, I guess, being who I am, that I just want to share this with people. It's what you felt when you started mm-hmm. these awful conversations, right? That you felt that there's so much, you know, amazing stuff in it. You want other people to listen. You want mm-hmm. other people to learn. So it's not just you learning from all those people. You had the same feeling, I know. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel you so much in so many spaces uh, and, and, and in so many ways. And uh, I mean, it, you have tried to simplify the whole concept for all of us, but I know it is a very, very, um, it's a journey. It's not actually a concept which can be uh, actually wrapped around words, but this is the most easiest way you could, uh, you could, you could bring it out to all of us. Uh, but then why conversations? Why did you not think of doing, um, because of your journey, you have evolved through different stages. Uh, how did you not think of doing this as a, 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 just, a, just a video where you say different, at different stages of your journey and why you wanted to have it more in a conversational format? Why I'm asking this is because I am a huge believer of conversational format. And I would love to know from you what in you inspired uh, this format or this particular uh, baby of yours. <laughs> Yes, definitely a baby, totally a baby. <laughs> well, first of all, because I love people. Like, I genuinely mm-hmm. love human beings. And mm-hmm. I really enjoy being with people. And I feel that um, when, when two human beings come together, like, we not only come with all the wisdom that we have accumulated over the years, right? We also come with the energy. So we come with a certain energetical aura that we project and that we carry with us. And so when two human beings meet, and especially in the physical space, now, okay, online, we are trying to do it as much as we can. And with someone like you, where we know each other very well, it's exactly Mm -hmm. like you said. We don't really feel the difference that we are on the screen right now. It feels like we are in the same room, right? Because we are connected already. We have Mm -hmm. done work together. We spent enough time together. So our aura is connected. So it is Mm -hmm. much easier for us to talk like as if we were in front of each other physically. Yes. So when people come together and their, their auras come together, um, it creates the third aura. It creates like a phenomena, right? It creates uh, like an, another type of energy, the third party. That's why like mm-hmm. I always say to people, is, for example, if we talk about relationships, there are always one person, another person, and then there is the energy of the relationship itself which often mm-hmm. is not taken into consideration. And, you know, that's one of the reasons where you could have examples when two brilliant people can come together, 
as an example, amazing individuals, but when they're together, it does not work. And they might genuinely try to make it work. They might even genuinely, you know, have interest in each other and, and love each other, but just whatever they create together as this third party, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And there are some other cases when people come together and you look at, at, at them and you wonder what keeps them together. Like they're so different. <laughs> you know, there is nothing that would unite them. But then when they come together, they create this third type of energy between them that mm-hmm. is just so incredible and, and mm-hmm. so powerful that it, it keeps them because they're meant to do something together. Right. So conversations to me, that's why when we come together with another human being, I feel that, um, we, we just bring out so much more from each other. And yes, of course, I mean, I could just turn on the camera and, and record one hour myself talking to the camera and, <laughs> and, and just take some notes maybe before, prepare, you know, some topics and say, this is what I want to cover, you know, duality, you know, conversation, spirituality. In my experience, it, it doesn't have the same taste when, let's say, if there's another human being like you here who is present and mm-hmm. who is asking questions, and then we can also reflect this energy, you know, back to each other, right? So then I say something and, and you express how you feel about it. And then when I'm listening to you expressing it, it brings out something for me. So we go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I feel that like if, if my intention would be, which also is to share the best I possibly can from my own realization and my own journey, then the best way to do this is someone else asking the right questions because then you bring out the best. So that's why to me, conversation is the best format for the teachings. And it's also traditionally, if we look, it has been always done this way. Mm. Almost never when a person who shares wisdom would just talk in the camera. Well, very rarely. So when <laughs> you have those, those videos, usually they just kind of, uh, caught from the teachings, right? That's then someone else just put them together. But when we mm. share the original, the raw information, then almost always it was done in the form of the conversation. There were people who would be asking questions and someone who would be giving answers. And there is this, this beautiful dance. Between yes. the two, right? So how the person who is answering, then learning as much as the one who is asking. Yes. So it's a very balanced exchange. And I feel that that's just how life kind of wants us to do things. I mean, life wants us to interact with each other. So yes. that's my conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, I really love the way you explained uh, the energy. Uh, energies in conversations. I think this is something everyone can take away from because most of the people think I don't work well with this person. It's got something to do with me or it's got something to do with them. Sometimes it's got something to do with both of you. It just doesn't work. I mean, like you just said, two brilliant people can work independently very well, but when they come together, the third energy that they create is something which which we are mostly... uh, probably it's not in our awareness that there is another third energy that is created. And that is probably why conversations are so, so essential. And you're so right. I mean, if you, um, speaking from uh, speaking from Indian mythology or texts or Vedic scriptures, I think the first conversation has, first form of learning has been conversation. We date it back to the first time ever there was a conversation when Shiva spoke from nothingness 
there was a conversation between him and his uh, consort Parvati. That was when he took out all of his knowledge because he was into meditation for a million years and he wouldn't speak. And she had to bring it out from him. And that had to be in the form of conversation. And uh, so beautiful of you to bring this format. And I'm so, so intrigued to ask so many questions. So <laughs> I need to go back and forth. But I, I know you, you're, uh, you're very generous and you share with all your heart. So first and, first and foremost, I have seen um, so many of your pictures in which you look so pretty and you were in a different world at that time. So different, um, so beautiful, but in a, in a different space. So how did that, Yana, become an everyday spiritual master? I mean, you bring spirituality into everyday world. Your words are so relatable. They are so contemporary. But yet you're bringing in that ancient wisdom back in a very, very easily palatable format. But the, the whole, I think this looks like a new birth, right? It's Absolutely, like, it is. <laughs> How this, how this whole transition took place and what triggered it or was it always there? Please take us through your journey. Wow, that's, uh, this is a very <laughs> revealing question. Thank you for asking, Kart. <laughs> um, I was born in a mystical family. So I would say my first credit goes to my mom. So she is a very mystical person and I think I'm just very blessed that she is my mom out of all moms I could possibly have. <laughs> And so she was herself always interested in spirituality. So now, okay, yeah. I was born in Russia. I was born technically still during the Soviet Union time when we all, when religion was forbidden, right? So or any sort of practices were forbidden. So no one was allowed to practice it. So however, she had this curiosity in her. And mm -hmm. the best she could, she was looking for ways to, to realize herself the best way she knew how, right? So she tried different modalities. She tried different occult practices. She tried all kinds of things, trying to find uh, answers to her own questions. Wow. And because she was a seeker, and she still is a seeker in her own way, so mm -hmm. I grew up in this environment where it was normal. Like it was normal to hug trees, you know? Mm -hmm. It was normal to talk to plants. I mean, of course, animals understand you without words. I mean, that goes without saying, right? So I kind of grew up in a household where there was a lot of magic. And then she would also invite all her friends who were similar type of people. So who were also questioning the nature of reality. They were questioning what's happening in our mind. Uh, they were questioning the, the human potential pretty much in all kinds of different ways. So I was exposed from the very young age to all those conversations, right? That's maybe where it's also coming from. All mm -hmm. those conversations, listening to those people, just kind of discussing and challenging each other in different ways, right? And there's a lot mm -hmm. of brilliance that was born during those conversations. So mm -hmm. growing up in that way, I kind of had a very natural um, kind of interest in, in all those things. And also I had a very natural capability. Like since I was a very young child, I just had this kind of energy that people would always come to me. And I remember when I was little, like, I, I mean, I was born with certain, you know, healing energies, I guess, like when people would come and I would put hands on them and there were all kinds of things that were happening. And wow. like, there was a lot of stuff that was happening. And also like now, I guess what considered to be light language, you know, I used to say those words when I was like eight or seven years old and never would no one would be able to understand what it is that I'm saying because mm -hmm. even 
those words like light language didn't exist back then. Well, not in my vocabulary, at least, or my mom's, right? So we had no idea what was happening. So she was just kind of trusting that, okay, well, my daughter does something and I just trust it. And she kind of let me evolve in this and grow. And then, and then the society came in. <laughs> so I had this very blissful childhood for about seven, eight years when I was kind of talking to trees and, you know, believing in fairy tales like all children do. And then the reality came in the real life. And then the school system and social conditioning and other children, right? And I felt kind of out of the place a little bit with everything mm -hmm. that was happening. So I felt that somehow I don't really fit that well. And mm -hmm. like all children, you know, when, when we don't know what is happening at this age, right, then I just started giving in to the social pressure. And then mm -hmm. society wants you to be in a particular way. And I'm like, okay, so I better be, otherwise they think I'm really strange. <laughs> and, and so I started um, adjusting to people's expectations, like the mm -hmm. social expectations and putting that that part of me, the, the magical spiritual part of me, somewhere behind, so no one sees it, so that I can fit in with, with my peers in a way, right? And, and that was a big part of my life. So I tried really hard. I, I, like, I, I think I did everything I possibly could in my life to fit into the society, like everything. I tried to do work in different, you know, works. I tried to run my own business. I tried to work for someone else. I tried to be like in a traditional relationships. I tried to be like, like a proper normal person, do normal things and, and live very normal life. And everything, like in all those attempts, I failed, like every single one. So everything which I would try, which what people usually do, I just would not succeed. Mm. And that led me eventually to this deep place of frustration when I started questioning fundamentally, what is wrong with me? I'm like, seriously, like, I know that, you know, I, I can do this and it seems that people doing better at it than I am. So what mm. is it that I just cannot go forward in life in those areas, mm. which are more traditional areas of life, right? And and then I guess my frustration became so strong at some point where I just completely got um, disillusioned with the society. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I reached this point when there was nothing really available that would catch my interest. And, and that was the part also, ironically, when from social point of view, I was like at the very top of the society. <laughs> like everything is with my feet. You know, like I, I knew all the right people. I had access to all the right resources. And I think it's probably also when we start first our interaction. And I think those pictures you're referring to probably also come from that period of time where like everything was glossy and shiny. And, and you know, there was this perfect life on the outside where I could do anything I possibly wanted. But deep inside of me, I knew that this is not who I am. Who, I mean, who, who am I, who am I kidding here? Like, I can't lie to myself. And mm -hmm. I remember very well that there was a particularly turning point when, um, back then I was doing, uh, Yana TVs, which was an amazing project itself. And I'm glad I did it. It was great people I interviewed. And I remember when we started, the aspiration was to become like an Oprah Winfrey in Asia, you know? So I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was doing those interviews with people. 
and and then at some point there was this um, offer that came in when I was offered to become uh, like a, an like an anchor for a major um, for the major talk show in one of the major networks, like a proper TV, right? In the way, and. And I remember looking at everything that was offered to me. And basically, I was told that, well, we tell you who to interview, what to say, what to dress. And, and I remember listening to this. And I was like, no way. I'm like, seriously, there's no way I'm going to do this. It's like, sell, it's like selling my soul to the devil. This is how it felt, seriously. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? If this is what it costs to succeed in life, whatever that, that success is, how we understand, I don't mm. want it. You know, I can't live with myself that if I agree to this. Mm. And I just killed it, the entire thing. So that was the point when I just literally walked out and I stopped everything that I was doing. Like I stopped recording on the TVs back then. I, I stopped pretty much everything and I went in this deep hibernation process. <laughs> I guess looking for more answers, but the main part of the journey was to to fundamentally make peace with who I am, and and then I started reaching out to people also, people like yourself, and also asking for their feedback because I felt so utterly lost in my identity that I I, I realized I don't fit in the society, so I didn't know anymore what to do with myself. Like I couldn't pursue any, any, no roads were open to me. This is how it felt back then. Mm. So I started reaching out to people who know me and asking for their feedback, how they see me. And I'm like, please help me. What am I not seeing here? And every single feedback that came back was like, well, that's easy. You're a spiritual guide. I mean, what, what, what are you looking for? That's very clear, right? Spirituality is your thing. And, you know, life coach people were saying sometimes. I mean, it's all about a, a human. It's all about the journey. It's all about life. It's all about this metaphysical aspect of it. And to be honest, <laughs> that came a little bit as a shock to me when I, when I received all this feedback. And I was like, wow, you really cannot run away from your destiny, can you? <laughs> that was like, so I had this the whole loop with like maybe what they call a hero journey or hero's journey, right? When, you, when you're born into something and then you rebel against it and then you go through years of obstacles and challenges only to arrive where you were meant to be at the very beginning. So, but it was a huge loop for me. And so then eventually I just, had to accept who I am with mm -hmm. everything what it takes, right? And accept that this is what my path is. It's that, okay, it, it is about guiding people in spirituality just because there is something in me that understands it. Mm -hmm. like, it's hard to put in words, but it's, and, and as you, you know, right? I mean, I'm not really, I haven't really read any of the scriptures. I'm not that much into intellectual kind of accumulation in terms of the knowledge, I'm kind of the person who goes more into the real practice and like your own realization. So everything mm -hmm. that I talk, I can say it only if I know it within myself. And so there is something in my system, probably how I was born, because I don't have any other explanation to this, that just knows. And mm -hmm. so when something comes up, I just know. And so I can tell people, but then when they ask, how do you know, I have no explanation to them. And so I just learned to trust it. And that was absolutely going through a death experience. 
So he was saying, you know, about giving birth, right? I mean, in order to give birth, you have to die first. Mm-hmm. So it was very painful in its own way, this, this um, deconstruction of all those social conditioning and people's expectations. And because also I had to go through this transition as an adult, right? So I kind of built up a lot of people around me who have their own perception of me and they look at me in a very particular way. And now I tell them, well, I'm sorry, guys, but the Yana you have known for 20 years doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a very different person. And if you cannot accept it, then there's nothing I can do, you know, to adjust in the way how you want to see me. I cannot fit anymore in this, in this format that you have been seeing me for years. So mm-hmm. you're either kind of accepting what it is right now or we have to depart. And so a lot of people left. That was really interesting part where the moment I, it became clear to me that accepting and owning who I am deep inside is the only way to go forward in life because nothing else seemed to work for me. <laughs> then um, I had to also accept the fact that it would uh, often, I mean, it would significantly change my network with people. And only those who are ready to accept it would stay, which is exactly what happened. And so there's the whole, I went through some sort of social death, you know, you know, uh, emotional death, mental death process. <laughs> so which literally it felt sometimes like parts of me just, just falling away. Mm. And, and sometimes it leads you to a very, um, just like a very uncomfortable place, maybe. Because I can't find any other word to describe it, right? Because everything that you know disappeared. And what is left, you don't know what it is. So the mind just goes crazy. Mm. Right? The mind and tries to do goes through questions and it goes through all kinds of inner process. So what is happening? Because mind wants um mind wants stability and mind wants to cling to a form. Yeah. Right, mind, because it's very you know when you tell the mind there is no form, the mind goes, "I don't understand," and then you have to say, "That's right, you will never understand because mind cannot understand." So you have to expand beyond mind. There is no form, but for for the intellect, for the ego, it's like death. Yes, it, it's very difficult to go through this. Yes, and and then you kind of find yourself like in that place where nothing is certain, and then we go, okay. So it's like, you know, but you take one step and you're trying to figure out, can you even stand here? And then you take another step. So this is how life then becomes this journey and this adventure, mm-hmm. which then led me to all those teachers that I also mentioned at the very beginning and conversations with them, right? Yes. Because now I really wanted answers. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I realize that I can't run away from myself. I have to embrace myself. Mm. I understood, well, now I really want to understand what I am. Mm. And then it led me into those very deep conversations where people were explaining to me. And, and the more I was realizing me this, the more I wanted other people to realize this about themselves, mm. which then now came to this baby, which we, you and I are holding today <laughs> at this very moment. <laughs> this and so proudly and so happy. <laughs> Now we have this baby. I don't even know what it's going to grow into. It is literally a baby at the moment. But it is definitely at least my intention that I would like to distill 
all those ancient teachings in as simple and clear way as possible and to make it accessible to people in the society, to all kinds of people. So that it becomes, I mean, mainstream, I'm not sure I like the word, but it becomes a common practice, yes. right? I mean, it's like, I mean, now let's say yoga is a common practice now. I mean, mm -hmm. long time ago, very few did yoga. I think from Indian history, I think only it was technically Brahmins were only doing yoga very long time ago, right? The mm -hmm. same as like dancing and the same as like all other disciplines were reserved only to a, a certain group of the society. And then mm -hmm. India went through its own cultural revolution and loosened up a little bit. And all this uh, knowledge and wisdom kind of went to other people and they embraced it. And then from India, it went to the Western world and people embraced it. And now pretty much everyone does yoga. I don't think there's a country where they don't do yoga. Everyone does it, right? It's a common yeah. knowledge. It's beautiful because I think uh, there are some words which become so universal in their essence, even in their understanding. That yoga is though it's a very, uh, it's a Hindi language word, but it has become so synonymous with uh, the benefits that is given to people who have practiced it, that now it's become a universal word. I think everyone understands you what is yoga and they practice it. And what makes, I think what made it spread uh, was, of course, there was a mental evolution that people went beyond a certain section of people. But I think what really made it grow was the benefit, was the benefit people immediately got out of starting that practice. Because no matter how much something looks, uh, you know, uh, fascinating or, uh, you know, ethereal, unless it touches you, unless it, it brings that difference into you and you become a mouthpiece of it, and that's how truly things spread. Like, um, Sometimes I wonder and reflect about what is God. No one has seen God. And probably it is the greatest institution. Everyone believes in God. No one has seen God. And the highest amount of donations, the highest amount of uh, uh, offerings, the highest amount of devotion, the highest amount of number of temples, mosques, uh, churches, buildings, uh, monasteries are built in the name of God. Someone who has never seen, heard or touched so it's a belief that has made a personal difference to people uh, at, at a such phenomenal level uh, to each one that they spread it. They spread it. And maybe we can say it becomes a wave. Sometimes it becomes uh, more like a stereotype in a certain society, uh, the rituals, the part of that part of it. But I think the belief in God has the faith, the hope that it gives has is so universal that no matter what name we call it with no matter what rituals we use or customize to our own taste and uh, preferences but there is one thing that stays that there is something higher than us and uh, spirituality is something people generally confuse with either religion or a certain section or a certain group or practices uh, whereas I think since you, the, the journey that you were describing has been a very, a very evolving journey of itself. It's a very unconventional journey, right? You've not been, like you said, when you started as a baby, you never had any religion. So mm -hmm. as in union. So, I mean, it's a beautiful story where, where there is no taught religion to someone. And that person grows into spirituality in her own, uh, in her own discovery of life.
and then she is discovering that i this is all i am this is completely 100% who i am not just to be and to, but also to to grow into or make others grow into i mean this is isn't it phenomenal i mean if i when, when i look at your journey it's also so, so it's so unconventional and that is why it is so it is such an example it's such a illustrious example of what spirituality actually is there is no definition but if you had to define it in your own way that from from a totally non believer of a certain religion haven't ever read any scriptures texts but then slowly moving into your own definition of being a light worker at a very baby stage you know when when you didn't know that you didn't know that it's people who saw that in you or they felt that healing through you and then sort of shoving it away mostly it happens within family it it could be either your own parents or your siblings who will tell you it looks very abnormal keep it away don't say that or don't do those things or you know you're just making news for no reason <laughs> or maybe wrong reasons you know because because the mind cannot comprehend which you said towards the end it's it's formless you know it's very hard and it's nothing to blame those people who are familiar to the form so how how do you how do you explain spirituality because you are a very living example of what spirituality is <laughs> that's such a great question art see and i think the answer is exactly in the question itself i feel um i'm just living it to the best mm-hmm. of my abilities you know okay i will try to find words now to express it but that's the whole the whole idea behind my work where i would like people to live it too it's not about to me spirituality is not about reading books with all respect for the books and i do respect wisdom books and ancient books and i understand it's important to preserve it otherwise all of it will be lost okay let's at least now we can record the conversations with people back then books were the only way to record teachings how would you know otherwise right So of course it is very important that we do this but then also spirituality um what i notice what is happening in the society that people tend to intellectualize it too much mm-hmm. right and 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 then they create this gap where uh they go for more for more knowledge they go for more books they go basically for more information mm-hmm. and it is like just food for the mind it it it's like it makes us smarter but not wiser <laughs> <laughs> and and then and then ego kind of gets a bit stronger and says well well now I know things about spirituality I can teach and in my experience it doesn't work like this so mm-hmm. and often um when you know least is when you understand the most so that's why to me spirituality is actually a journey of um emptying yourself right so it's not putting in more stuff and uh, but it's more removing things and it means that you you uh, you kind of you you put away um concepts that don't serve you you put away perceptions that don't serve you you put away information that doesn't serve you anymore or, or put away certain beliefs that you bought into also usually as a child about yourself about other people about who you should be right putting all of this aside to me this of itself is a spiritual journey because when you remove everything what you are not only then you can realize what you really are mm. and so that 
to me is spirituality. So it's almost like I cannot tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it is not. And by saying what it is not, we can understand what it is then, <laughs> right? So, so it's the other way of answering this. Beautiful. So share, share a bit more with us, Yana, that how has been your, um, because not everybody gets to go to uh, monasteries and stay with the monks. And it is, uh, we've seen a few of the movies. I think one of the, one, one of the movies that you recommended was Sansara. Yes. Uh, which was, uh, which is actually a very, very closer look at how, how they, how they operate and, and probably the language not being English makes it even more nicer. I think that that's probably the best part of the movie that is not an English language movie. Um, but you've been there. You've been in that. You've been in that space. And there's something about spaces. We say that we can go uh, mentally into a certain space, visualize something. But then there is a difference of being actually in that space where uh, you know people. Are doing a certain practice for years and years and they're living that simple life uh, coming back to your thought that uh, when we know less we understand more they probably don't know uh, all these gadgets they've not been exposed to all of these things which may think which which may leave a lot of space for you know um, their own personal blooming so what has been your your takeaways from there, the, the real takeaways, apart from what we hear, in, we hear in stories or we read in books, because there have been a lot of books written on, on lamas, there have been a lot of literature around it. But hearing from someone who's been there and been there very uh, quite frequently in the last few years, you've also taken a group with you. So first, what was your experience and then what inspired you to take more people there? What, what in it uh, you felt, I know after a while you start want to give that to everyone else. But what was it that you received that you wanted to share with everyone else and then you took a group with you? So share us about, uh, share with us about even that experience from here to there. Yes, yes. Um, you're talking about my connection with India and Bhutan in particular, right? Those two countries are very close to my heart and probably something from my past life. There's no <laughs> other explanation to this why I would have such a strong connection with these kind of people, right? And they always have. And um, so it is kind of India, Bhutan, Tibet, like all, all this, this type of culture. Um, my experience with uh, monks and nuns and lamas, um, they're just amazing people. Like this, first of all, you know, it's, um, it's literally like going to a different universe of itself. It's like a completely different reality. And I remember when I first, uh, actually my first experience with that was in India. So when I visited India, and I don't remember what year it was, but that feels now like a really long time ago. Uh, when I visited India for the first time, I really wanted to go and visit the Dalai Lama residence, right? And we wanted to go to, to Dharamsala and kind of just spend time there. And, um, he was not there, so we couldn't see him. So instead, uh, we went to the nunnery. So there was a close by, there was a nunnery by a, a just a very also recognized, kind of recognized as a strange word, maybe just very well-known and accepted nun. Uh, so she, she wrote a book, uh, Cave in the Snow. So she was, I think, the 
the second, from what I remember, maybe even the first Western nun who was ordained. So, but she was like this very iconic figure of a Western woman who decided to go on this quest of spirituality. And she went through this very, uh, like a traditional training, right? Like meditating 10 years in the mountain. I mean, like very traditional. And at the time where no women would do this. So she mm-hmm. describes in her book how as a nun, she was living with 100 monks. And how does that work, right? And, and yeah. the time when no one else was doing it. And um, so we went to, to visit him and, and her nunnery. And I remember just the moment we walked in, there was like something there that just felt like home. It is very hard to put in words, but like it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's the energy, it is the people, it is her, the way she talks, it is her energy, right? There was this like an instant remembrance, this instant recognition that's like, I know you and like, I know uh-huh. this place, right? Like th- there is some kind of connection here. This deja vu moment in a way. Mm-hmm. And back then I was clueless. I mean, I'm still clueless, but I was, I was even more clueless back then. <laughs> so I had no idea about anything in relation to those kind of traditional spiritual practices. So I was like a child just looking around. I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. There are nuns around me. So and sorry. Sorry to interrupt you, but this was during the time when you were working or you were already decided to be on a spiritual quest? That was just before I decided to be on the spiritual quest. So you so were still I, in the other world. Exactly. I was still in the other world. I was pretty much still very much into the samsara. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know with everything what it is. Mm-hmm. And that was like a direct experience of the fresh air. Right. Mm-hmm. So when something in me was already kind of bubbling and, and I was realizing it's not where I should be. And then I arrive into this place and they go, yes, this is exactly where I should be. This is it. And I had no idea how to close the gap or how to close the dots. I mean, my life was very different. I mean, and what do I do? I mean, I mean, do, do I become a nun? Do I cut my hair, shave my head, you know, go to nunnery? This is like a very different way. And my life wouldn't support it back then. And now still it wouldn't support it. I mean, I, I have family, like, how do you do those things? Right. And, but then I had this very strong calling of the soul. I'm like, this is home. I know it. And then I had to go back to my life and figure out what to do next. And, and so that was my very first introduction and this direct experience in, in this reality of nuns and monks. And it was so deep for me. That it kind of planted a seed in me in a way, right? It was so deep for me that I was just, I, I didn't know how to get there. I, I didn't know anyone who would have any connection to Tibet or Bhutan or to this kind of culture. You know, I was not part of any community who would know any Lama. Like I was completely an outsider to all of this. And it was also my first visit to India. So I didn't even, I think it was probably for the first time when I even met people there. So that's a completely new reality of itself. And I was, I remember for myself and I just realized that I don't know how, how it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen and I just have to trust it. And so I started making decisions in my life that would kind of, what, what I just shared would bring me closer to who I am, right? And it's interesting how it works. And I always tell people this, that the moment you, you make commitment to your soul, the soul starts guiding you. And you don't need to worry about how and who is going to help or who is going to give you answers. It's not important. You just have to commit to your soul journey. 
And even if you feel that everything falls apart, which definitely in my case back then, my, my entire life literally kind of literally fall apart. Like I remember at the time I was like, I was living a life already in Singapore back then when I was on the street with no money, no place to stay, no job. And I just kind of got out of the relationship I had back then. So there was like no support structure. I was a foreigner in the country. I didn't really know anyone. So there was no plan. That's my point. The plan was there was no plan. There was just this deep inner trust that I know that what I'm doing, it looks crazy to people. And uh, like my, my first husband, you know, with whom we separated back then, that he kind of said, you are crazy. Like, I don't know why you are doing this. There's no logic in your actions. You know, you have to think like a logical person. You need to get a job first before you tell me you want to get out of the marriage. I mean, what are you thinking, right? I said, no. Thinking practically. I'm just surrendering to the divine. That's it. I'm like with full trust. And if it means I have to be on the street, I'm going to be on the street. So I had this deep inner trust that somehow it all going to work out even though I didn't know how. So I made this very bold, very crazy move to just exit my life back then, you know, and go into the unknown with nothing. And it's amazing the moment you do something like this. And I'm not saying it's the only way, right? I'm not saying that people should kind of radically change their lives. There's also a softer way of doing it. Now I understand. Back then, I felt that's the only way. (laughs) So, but because I did it this way, the life kind of has a safety net. It just, it catched me. My soul didn't allow me to completely fall. And people would come and they would help and like, like complete strangers would be really kind, you know? So I, I felt I was protected and supported, which helped me to go on this journey. And then it was just a sequence of the events that kind of started leading me closer and closer to India, closer and closer to Bhutan, right? And I remember one day when it was uh, my yoga teacher, Saumik, that I love dearly, and I'm with him for many years, you know, doing yoga, and we're still doing it. So he was the one who actually, he literally had to convince me to go with him to Bhutan. So that was very interesting. He was going there doing a yoga retreat. And I mean, I knew India, I knew Tibet back then. I'm not sure I knew what Bhutan is. He just told me, we are going to Bhutan with the yoga group and I really want you to come. And I remember telling him, Salmik, I I don't have time. I'm not sure I want to. What is Bhutan? So, but but he was just so persistent. And then, and then literally, and, and he knows me well, so he can do this, right? He knows my character also. And we have this type of relationship where he can do this. Where he literally, I received like a text when he told me, I booked your flights. We are leaving in one week. You are coming. So get ready. And I was, wow. okay, looks like I'm going to Bhutan. <laughs> right? So, and so I just went with him. And there again, just how it happened in Nunnery in the India a long time ago, the moment we landed in Bhutan, there was this instant recognition that it is home. And I never really felt it about the country before. Like it, it's, it's on such a deep, almost like a cellular level, this realization that, that this is it, you know, that, that this is, this is where we are. And the interesting story about it, like I never wear national costumes ever in any other places. And I have traveled all over the world. In Bhutan, I think the first thing I did, we went and I got those national costumes that women are wearing in Bhutan. And I felt so comfortable in it. And it, it was like a perfect fit. 
So I was this Western-looking blonde woman, you know, walking in Bhutan for the entire duration in these national costumes. And local people would just look at me and they're like, what is happening here? <laughs> but, but there was this, again, this instant recognition of this. And, mm -hmm. and then we started going to temples and, um, and again, monks, right? This is how it came in. So we started spending time with monks and, and listening, especially to pujas and, and to the ceremonies. And every time when we would walk into the temple and temples of Bhutan are amazing, it's ancient temples, right? So the moment we would walk in, there was something about the energy and the, it's like a very different vibration. Maybe that's the best way how I can describe it. And I have seen uh, monks before and I have seen like spiritual people before. I have been to Ladakh in India. We also went to temples there, right? But there was something in Bhutan is the intensity of energy, which I guess the intensity of practice that these people, you know, had before that, that would just create this, this experience like you don't want to leave. Like I could just sit for hours and hours on and those temples with monks. I didn't want to do anything else. And, and that kind of led me to this fundamental um, quest, I guess, and within myself. How do, I, how, how do I bring those two worlds together? Like I'm living in the society and my soul and heart is in the monastic world. I can't, I can't just switch. I mean, some people do. Right? I mean, I could choose, okay, I'm going to leave my family and I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm just going to check myself in into the monastery somewhere and this is it, right? But it kind of felt to me a little bit like an escapism. It felt mm -hmm. like I'm running away from my own life. And also I felt it's very unfair to people who love me. I mean, they have been with me for years. I can't just leave them like this. So I wanted them to come with me. And that's, that was the quest to start bringing people there. When I realized that, again, there is something about how, I guess, I perceive the world, that I am this sort of a bridge between the monastic world and mainstream, mainstream world, right? Something that connects those two realities that usually don't interact well with each other for a variety of reasons. And because I kind of live very much here and I understand very much there, <laughs> so I can help people to move kind of in both ways to people to help people in the society to understand more about spirituality and understand more about lamas and monks and nuns and practice it right and at the same time to help monks nuns and lamas themselves to be more integrated in the society because it's also time i mean it's time that we kind of bring it together it was separated for way too long and that's why i also mm -hmm. feel where people right now in the society are also so lost because it's what you said, that many confuse spirituality with religion. And I feel that it is not the case. You know, it's not, spirituality is not about religion. It's about, it's about the, the wisdom of life, the ancient way of living. And then if we can find a way to introduce this in a simple way to people in the society, then I think I will die peacefully. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Ah. yeah, I'm kind of stumped uh, listening to your entire experience. That happens very rarely. <laughs> Generally, the more I hear, the more there are questions. But at times, I think what happens is that uh, there are certain experiences that need to be severed uh, with silence. 
And I think silence is one thing that one realizes uh, in spirituality has a lot of lot of uh, space because, uh, like you said, when you go there in those spaces and when you come to this life, there is a duality. Yeah, it is a duality, and to find that space between the two, uh, I think silence is what brings it to non-dual. Where um, I don't know if you remember one of our conversations where we had somewhere in the Orchard Road, we were sitting in some restaurant uh, where uh, I think where I met you before Soul Conversations. And uh, I was trying to understand at that time you were, uh, you, you had mentioned the same thing that there is a, there is a, the crossover is needed, you know, both ways, both ways from here to there and also from there to here. So there is a, so we can bring spirituality in everyday life so we can, make that sphere, make for them life also sustainable mm-hmm. because not everyone has to live in, in, in by the very basic means because, you know, it does a lot of effort. There's a lot of uh, uh, time, effort and energy that goes into learning these practices. And, and also if they choose to teach it, there's a lot of effort which goes into teaching them as well. And I remember that you had said there's some, there's as there's so much you can teach, and after that there has to be uh, the words kind of get blurred. There's there's very hard to put a language to it, and then there reaches then it reaches a space where there is nothing. And I was asking you what is nothing, and you were like it is it is incomprehensible. You know, it's like uh, talking about something which is which we can't comprehend. And to be able to imagine something that, uh, and, uh, and if we really go into very practical understanding of life, for example, if we say this is a phone and it is made of, say, metal, we break it down, it's made of elements. We break it down, it, that element is made of atoms. Those atoms are made of probably subatomic particles and those subatomic particles are made of quartz. But then what are quartz made of? Nothing. So if we really come to the essence, the very basic essence of everything, and we can apply it to, imagine if we apply the same thing to the world, it is actually made of nothing. To reach there, to reach those concepts, um, very few people have been able to bring that balance of, you know, uh, keeping, keeping that knowledge, teaching them, teaching the knowledge, into like means well mainstream is not the real right word probably everyday life um, but yet make it sustainable too and I think if very few have been I think there is hardly a woman who's doing it (laughs) you're probably right absolutely (laughs) maybe one in million is able to achieve that and if in one of those millions is is hardly a woman Uh, what what makes me uh, really wonder is why would you choose something which almost looks like, I mean, I understand it is your calling, it is, but you, you've seen that side of your flourishing side where you were a wonderful, beautiful model, you were into best of your life, but it was not your calling, so it pulled you apart from there. But to make this sustainable is also a lot of effort. Both needs effort. To be living in a life that is not you is an effort. To be able to live a life that is completely you, but is very difficult to sustain, is also an effort. 
So basically, you're choosing effort both sides. Why you're choosing effort on this side versus the effort on that side, which is which is a road well laid somewhere. You know, you have markers to it. You know, people have been in that journey, and you know there are so many success stories. There are CEOs who have written books and success laws, twenty-two success laws, seven healthy habits of successful people, and millions of those. Here you have very few books to refer to. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> And you're not a person who's going to anywhere refer to a book here. <laughs> so you're choosing actually effort on both sides. It's not that you're escaping from effort. It is not that you're letting yourself live a very, you know, like in the clouds head life. You are putting in a lot of effort. So why choose effort on something that has never, ever been done? That's a wonderful question. And that's exactly what my mom asked me a few days ago. <laughs> and do you know what I told you? I, she asked me exactly this. She asked, why are you doing it? Your life could have been much simpler, like seriously. And I remember, and I just looked at her and I'm like, mom, it's not like I have a choice. It is choiceless. Like, I'm not choosing it. This is the whole point. It's not, it, it's almost like I am somewhere in my own evolution and in my own journey that I just, I just cannot not do this. Mm. See what I mean? So it's not like, so to me, it's not even a choice. It is choices. It's like it's scripted. I didn't make this call. It mm. kind of was meant to be this way. It was just, it took me a while to accept it. Probably I could have, went into this life earlier you know i didn't because i was trying to hold on for samsara for a very long time you know and whatever this glossy life for a very long time until i just realized that i can't anymore so it's, it's almost like you arrive at this place within where you just surrender you surrender to who you are and, and this is what i am so to me it, i haven't chosen it it's more that i just accepted who i am and this is what I am. So now I'm just learning to live with this. And, you know, absolutely it requires efforts. And I'm, I, I totally understand that I'm treading a territory which is not common and definitely taking paths less traveled. And especially as a woman and as a Western woman, right? I feel, okay, maybe if I was an Indian woman, a Bhutanese woman, you know, okay, I kind of understand. But I'm like, Russian? Seriously? <laughs> I mean, out of all nationalities? So I had this conversation with my soul. Why didn't I was born in India or Bhutan? Why in Russia? I'm not sure I understand. But maybe there is something about, you know, me looking Western, right? And maybe me being born in Russia, which is a very mystical country of itself and has this kind of Eastern background to this. So I kind of become this mix who looks very Western, but very Eastern inside. So I can relate to both parts of the world. Right? People, it's hard for people to put me like in a cliche kind of opinions because I don't fit. Mm. And, and now that I am already on this path, I just keep walking. <laughs> and then let's see what happens. I don't know. And also, there are so, you know, I feel like there are so many other women who, because they see me doing this, they feel mm. that they have permission to do the same they also start asking questions within themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And, and they, they, they see, you know, there's this beautiful example that um, we need to see at least one person succeeding in something, 
Mm. Like we need to have a, a really physical example of someone doing it. And they even use this analogy in sport where many uh, kind of many people would, uh, would create a new record that kind of uh, has never been created before. But the moment it is actually created for the first time in life, there were many more others after them who would be able, let's say, to run at the same, you know, few number of seconds, right, or something. So we need to have at least one person who can do this. And then something happens in our mind, in human mind, that we know it is possible. And the moment mind knows it is possible, it redirects attention. And now we're no longer asking the question, can I do this? But more, how can I be that, right? Or how can I do that? And mm -hmm. so now I see also all those, I mean, of course, also men, but I feel probably mainly women because women, what you said, were not that into this path who mm. want the same thing. They want to stay in their families. They have, you know, children and husbands and they want to stay in the society. And at the same time, they want to honor their soul calling. And they're mm -hmm. asking the same questions. How do I do this? How do I do this in the modern world? I love my family. Right. So, right. and at the same, I love my soul. So what do I do? And so I just feel that uh, I'm kind of working because it's also for others. I'm doing it for them as, as much as for myself. Mm. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, beautiful. <laughs> that's so beautiful. And I'm so, <laughs> I'm, I don't know whether I should say it's a good thing or a bad thing that I picked up a question your mom asked you because generally, <laughs> no, it's an amazing thing. It is amazing thing. It means well, I shouldn't have. <laughs> so please thank your mom. Yes. <laughs> Maybe she, her, her spirit inspired me that she's somewhere with us right now. And uh, maybe she's not in the same room with us right now. She's somewhere in the other room, but maybe she's connected to you mentally. So this question just got transpired that you had to answer this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Absolutely. And, and this we kind of interesting enough. We started like my story with conversation sharing about her, right? And now it's yeah. like we, we are wrapping it up and she's present <laughs> here again. So very interesting, yeah. right? So there is this, this very strong connection. Yeah. And I absolutely love how you also shared about silence mm. and yes. their importance of silence so i just feel we covered so much today <laughs> in such depth that it almost needed to be well, there's fight. something i would like to ask you yana about okay. the programs that you've been doing because uh, okay. apart from the fact that you've been navigating through um this almost like not with a structure but if i really if you if you also uh, i mean look back uh, and re um, I mean, once you will hear this whole conversation again, it's very clear that you almost know instantly the answers. Mm -hmm. Like when you said you landed in India, you were in a totally different life. You were not into spiritual life. You were not heavily into meditations that you could instantly get it. But you got it. You felt home. You felt it was home. When you landed in Bhutan, you felt this was your own country. You just wanted to wear that robe. And it just made, it's more like, you know, if you metaphorically see, you wanted to dress in that. Yes. It's as if, you know, you took out, you took off that dress and you put in the new dress. That is like how we say, um, you know, in our, um, in our, in our system that, uh, uh, you know, the Atma, the soul, it changes bodies. It just, it's like a new dress you wear. Whenever you take a new birth, you're wearing a new dress. So if you see metaphorically, you, you removed your, 
the dress and you wear a new dress. So you actually get yourself into a totally different, uh, maybe zone or different, uh, you know, understanding of who you are as a person because you felt very comfortable in that skin, you know, in that robe. And uh, and uh, before I was about to ask you this question, totally evaporated. So now it came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very important. So I must ask you before we wrap up is because so how how is it possible someone who's so um, so much in flow knows exactly what are your allies and what are your adversaries? You really know, like you picked me for this. Mm-hmm. You are very sure um, this is your path. You knew very well this is your path. And you, like you told in your conversation, you mentioned that you told people, I am not the Yana I was 20 years ago. So if, and you're also okay for people to leave. You're okay. You're not holding on to anything. So you know exactly. And I think probably in your hearts, you would have known who would leave and who would not. Exactly. I did. <laughs> yes. Right? So how a person who is so much into, uh, you know, total non-structure, is able to even, div- I mean, I've seen your, you started with the Facebook lives, you started with long writing posts, and then you started write, preparing these programs. I've been part of your program, one of your programs. It is so well structured. I mean, the only thing that intrigued me about it, I, I felt it will be more about meditations and talking. That's what I stepped into. <laughs> like, I couldn't even mention what is my um, intention behind it because I know it's you. So I don't need to set an intention here. I know what will be, what will is meant for me will come for me. But, but then I saw there is a, there is a video, uh, you leave an audio, you give us a context, you give us exercises, you give us context for the exercises. You also have a wrap up session where you debrief. You leave people not in just their own hello. You just, there's a very, very soft, but a proper structure to everything. It's not very rigid, but it's very soft. But at the same time, there is a very good structure to everything. And in your journey also, there is an unknown, if you see, there's an unknown structure where you know what is your... So what has made that, that you know, come about on its own? And now you're coming with another program very soon. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> even the non-dual conversation is, is it, in a way, there is a structure. The second program, in fact, you have men and women. So you've brought in the, you broadened your structure to fit, uh, you know, uh, probably the entire humanity. I mean, uh, all genders are, are welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be in the right frame of mind to receive and be open to learning. That's all you need, right? So it's, it's all about structure from coming from a person who has been hugging trees. I know. Has been, I know. <laughs> never, never been you know, following a certain, and you know, what are your allies and adversaries? So two questions here. Number one, how does that happen? And number two, what have been specifically, uh, if you could choose maybe two or three allies and your adversaries that you identified by yourself through your journey? Because many women who aspire to be like you, like to be in a spiritual practice or to become a spiritual light worker, just like you, they would like to also track back their journey and see maybe from your references, okay, this, this is how she picked up and this is who she identified just like that. Great questions. Okay. So the first one, I guess, about how to pick up people. Um, like, no, no, you don't even 
pick them up. This is not probably the right word, but it's like, you know, it's exactly what you said. Who are your allies and who are not? Mm. I go by feeling, you know, it is not logical. It is not, it is not really, it, it's more how this person makes me feel and I know how I make them feel. So, and the feeling has to be comfortable. That's all that it mm. is. I just need to feel comfortable. Like I'm very comfortable with you. That's why I invited you to do this today. And I know you're comfortable with me. That's why you're happy to do it, <laughs> right? So you need to have this level of comfort together that then you can just drop in deeper together. So when there are tensions, then you, usually it means that also whether energetically or, or based on the egoic structure, you might not be in ideal fit. So, and then, then egos kind of start to fight with each other in a way. So usually with those people, it is hard to sustain a relationship over the long time. Like in our case with you, we are connected on the soul level. And I just know with whom I'm connected. You know, again, it's something which is very hard to put in words. But when we met for the first time, just the way you speak and the energy you carry when you speak, I had this instant resemblance and instant recognition with you. Like I know we are connected. So I didn't know how in what form. Okay, now we are doing this interview and we don't know how it's going to unfold after this, right? But I knew we are connected somehow. So when we talking about choosing or not choosing people, again, I would almost say it is choiceless. Those people that are connected with you on the level of the soul, they will stay with you regardless whatever is happening. Whatever you are doing and whatever is, you know, you're changing in your life, if this is their soulful connection, right? Soulful conversation, soulful connection, then it is going to be there for life. And those people with whom you are connected based on the egoic structure, then when it is ego connection, then it could crack, especially if you start going into the spiritual realm because then you kind of let go of all those things in your particular way, right? So all those egoic kind of based relationship will just dissolve. But it's okay. It's also not meant to be. So it's almost like not, it's more what you said earlier, just not holding on to people and trusting that those with whom your soul has this connection, they will stay. It's not up to you to choose. Okay, that's about this. <laughs> about the, the programs, this is a brilliant question. And to be honest, I don't know how I do this. Like really. Like it's almost like to me, it's the same as I had no idea how I was healing people when I was a child. Like, I don't know how it works. I just know that I do this. And it's the same now with, with the teachings. It's almost like, like, I know where I want to bring them, right? When person comes in, whether it is individual person or whether it is, I can pick up on both collective energy and individual energy. So when the group comes in or a person comes in, like, it's almost like I have some kind of system within myself that creates an instant assessment in terms of where are they in their soul journey. And I just know it by looking at them. And because I also know where they ultimately want to be. I mean, destination is the same for everyone. It is just uh, we go through this through different doors and we take different paths, right, to this. And then all that I do, I just do my best to adjust Whatever I need to tell them, to teach them, you know, to, to, to share with them, right? In a way, in a way that first of all, it meets where people are right now. It's very important to meet a person where this person is at this very moment in their life. 
Because if I, if I have this gap, if I start talking, I don't know, about hugging trees when they want to make money, there's a disconnect, <laughs> right? So we can't, I mean, okay, you can make money and hug trees, but, but <laughs> nevertheless, you know, you understand the point. So if, so if people have a uh, need, may, let's say, to maybe take care of the basic needs, I have to honor this and respect it. And I meet them there. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, so this is what for you important right now. Let's see how you can, um, how you can make it happen in your life. And while you're doing this, while you're learning how to make more money to provide food for the table, let's also do meditation, right? Or let's also do something else. So I'm start expanding this and I just see how much they can take in. And now as I'm sharing with you, I remember that it, it, I really resonated when Sadhguru shared, because I love Sadhguru. I think he's a phenomenal teacher. So, and I love how he shared that, um, they, they uh, they give a lot of, they give a lot of money for food to people, right? They support people a lot on this very basic, uh, level, like food, shelter, and, and those, no meditation, you know, basic stuff. And he was just sharing this, that they do a lot of this kind of work when they just basically feed people. And there's also his explanation was that, you know, y- there is time for everything. Like someone who is hungry, you cannot talk to them about liberation. They're going to be disconnected. Right. I mean, first you have to feed this person and put probably some roof over their head. And then when they are more comfortable and more relaxed and they are no longer in this survival mode, then we can start talking about a little bit understanding ourselves. There's a process to this. So mm-hmm. it is probably just I'm born with the mind. And this is how my mind also works, where I have this an interesting play of the left and right brain that just somehow seem to function in perfect harmony. Like I'm very creative and I'm very logical at the same time, you know, and, and that's how I create those programs that you say, because I understand that people want both and they need both. They need an element of structure and they also need an element of flow to be able to realize their full potential. Because otherwise, if we just do, like, if it's too much structure, then it becomes boring and there's no, no life there, right? If it is no structure, then it becomes too chaotic. And people like all over the place and they have no idea what is happening with them. So I feel like even in teachings, I'm choosing this middle path where let's bring both. Let's bring an element of structure, which is exactly how you said, not too strong, but it's not too loose. It's just enough to kind of show where are we going there? What is the direction, right? And at the same time, now let's feel this structure with all those abstract you know, energies and meditation and teachings that help people to reconnect. And then when they are left and right brain balanced, it also integrates better on a cellular level all the information because then their mind understands why they are doing what they are doing. But to tell you a secret, my biggest job and challenges when I work with people is I need to, it's mind is like a child. So I need to give enough exercises for the mind so that while their mind is busy, I can talk to their soul. <laughs> but you see what I mean? But when mind is not busy, it will not let me talk to their soul. That's why I give the structure because then they go and they're like, I have assignment, I have to do assignment. It's mental stuff, right? They are busy. Mm-hmm. But while they're doing it, I'm doing completely other things with them which they often, they don't even realize. So it's like a skill that's probably just natural born again. That's what you're doing with Gene Keys group, Exactly. And it's also like with the M5 that you did, Gene Keys is very deep. And yes, that's when people, the 
because then it's about soul purpose, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jin Key particular journey, it's, it's for those who are ready to go beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. Like M5 is still about me, which is fine. And it's also designed to be this way. It's about what I want. It is my life, right? It's I want to be happy and loved and wealthy and healthy and recognized. I'm like, okay, let's start with this. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's look at it, right? I mean, I totally respect the journey. So, and, and I give my best to help people and we go through this journey. And then when they come to the jinkies, it's about now what can you do for others? Now what is your place in the society? How can you contribute in the best way you possibly can? also to the greatest number of people, honoring what is your sole purpose. Mm. You see, which, which requires people to go beyond their ego. There's no other way to do this. And it's a very multidimensional process. I mean, it's not easy. Like right now, the group is going through this. It is not easy. I mean, it's really not. But then once you're through this, then you can truly be in service to other people. And I mm. felt that all of us, that if we even a little bit aspire to this, to be in service to others in however way we can, doesn't have to be huge necessarily, it could be very small, you know, we can be in service to our own family, right, to our own children. I mean, it, it could be, or if we live by ourselves, then to whatever is happening around us, to the plant or dog that you have at home, right? It's, I mean, it could be very, very small. But as long as your life becomes about something which is not only about your own needs and your own desires, then I feel your own spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me, Yana, what surprises you the most about yourself? How did I manage to talk to you now for one and a half hour? <laughs> Pretty much uninterrupted about all those things. I didn't even know I knew. This is what surprises me the most, probably. That's what I mean about conversations, that you just bring it out with your questions. And what is, I mean, the, I'm asking a few quick ones to wrap up. What is uh, your definition of God? Wow. I'm really intrigued to know this. What is yeah. Yana's definition of God? My definition of God. And not the Yana, the persona. Yana, the, pers- the, the thing behind, deep inside. Not, not your personality, not the spiritual teacher, not Yana who was once working, a little girl, way, way deeper inside. What is God? To me, God is everything. Like everything is God. You know, every particle of your cell is God. Every part of the particles of the paintings behind you is God. You know, everything which connects us in the air now that we talk, right, is God. So it's, it's something, and I'm not sure I have even a word for this. It's something that is ever present in everything that there is. And... It is completely, and all those, so it's kind of, it's also at the same time, it's a combination of particles and the whole, right? So those millions, millions, millions of drops in this huge, huge vast of ocean together. So to me, this is God. And everything else, which we understand under God, and I respect all other understandings of God, right? When we try to, to make this to me, it is formless. That's what I'm probably trying to say. Right. So it is formless, but then it can all, I mean, it's kind of 
it's formless, but then also we see this as a form because you are a form, I'm a form, right? And, and then at the same time, air between us is formless. So it is both. It could be form, kind of could take on form when it needed to convey, I guess, a particular something that, that the, the space needs at this very moment. And then we people just start naming it with all kinds of other words and, you know, different cultures, which is the whole other subject, right? But, but yes, that, that, that's what it is. It is everything. Beautiful. That's, a, that's such a beautiful definition. I think everybody will be able to relate to it. And I'm extracting as much as is possible <laughs> for your viewers because I know they will never get tired of it. But thank you very much. I mean... Um, God bless uh, soul, uh, the non-dual conversations. I'm sure we'll be hearing so much more from you. I wish this could go on and on. Yes, and we will definitely go another session with your art. I understand <laughs> you are not a one, one, one interview person. <laughs> we probably need to have a series. <laughs> I'm sure there will be a lot that will come out of your interactions and conversations with many other people because it will bring another side of you out. Um, and I'm really going to be looking forward to hearing all of them. Uh, thank you for this beautiful opportunity. And non-dual conversation is something I'm sure will stir a new wave of learning uh, and understanding about what spirituality is all about. Thank you so much, Arce. I'm I'm deeply, deeply grateful for your presence here today. And I feel that you just brought out all parts of me I didn't even knew existed. So thank you for that and uh, for just very, so much grace, how you're able it also to present to other people. I'm, uh, I love you dearly and, <laughs> and I'm very grateful also to the fact that we are so deeply connected. And for everyone else who is listening, check out Soulful Conversations with us as well. We, we definitely support each other, sending lots of love and we shall continue. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> wow, that was a deep dive. We talked about everything under the moon and everything under the sun. Thank you, Artsy, for being such an amazing space holder and a soulful interviewer. Did you enjoy listening to this podcast? Press the subscribe button, share with friends, and consider to support us on Patreon. Until next time, stay wild and be humble. Do встречи!